0: up everybody and welcome back into the sorry to interrupt podcast it is that time of year we are a mere two weeks away from the 2023 NFL draft and of course it's that time of year for Frenchy so my French, welcome back to the pod man how you doing
1: oh happy to be here this is just, this, a- April just doesn't get better I mean the weather's getting beautiful even in Connecticut well that's just today um most importantly, we have the draft only a couple weeks
2: away. The countdown has – well, the countdown began last April for me. But for everybody else, it's really started. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, I, I Honestly, I got to be real with you guys. I don't care about the draft until the Jets get that little thing done. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I might, maybe that means the draft will pass me by.
1: It's possible.
2: But we need the Jets to get that little thing done. But I am excited about a few players.
1: I'm um, talking, about a, uh, you're talking about a Lamar Jackson trade?
2: <laughs> I'm talking about that other guy, the one <laughs> the one in the darkness retreat. He I, won't
1: I mention
0: his name, Frenchie, until he is signed, sealed, and delivered in New I Jersey. I like it. That's a smart move.
2: Yeah, so we don't, we don't, he who, Lord Voldemort, he who will not be named, I will not bring him up on this podcast until he well, is a New York Jet.
1: I hate to nerd out about this, but the reason you couldn't say Voldemort's name is because he would show up. So maybe you do need to say his name if he's like mm. Aaron Rodgers, Aaron
2: Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers. There it is. You gotta say it three times. Like uh Exactly. Maybe maybe that just did it. I'll have to check my phone periodically for alerts. Um but finally, <laughs> how ma- how many years, fellas, have we done this? We've decided to get smart and not kill you, Mike, kill ourselves, and kill the listeners by doing a four-hour extravaganza. We're going to spread this out. We finally decided to get smart.
1: Mm-hmm. About time for all of us. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, I figured it
0: was, we all figured it was just the best for all of us. <laughs> all th- it was always
2: all. the best. We just were never smart enough to get our shit together in, in time. And look at us. It's called growth, Sean. We're doing it.
0: Yeah, right after, you, right after you toss me to the curb, you say that we're growing. So I don't know what the hell you're I talking about. I said
2: we as a collective, but I more meant me and Mike. And you're yeah, just you're kind of here. Group. I was it's trying to be nice. You,
0: selfish. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're always trying to be nice. We know that about you. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we're starting with the secondary. And, Frenchie, we wanted to bring you on for this first one. We're going to kind of just space these out during the course of the next couple weeks. And we figured a good place to start would be – the corners and the safeties, as I know you are robust with one of those positions and you're searching a lot for the other.
1: Yeah. Uh, this year, the secondary is really the first year. Um, I think cornerback is, I, I mean, I don't think it's clear. Cornerback is the best position in this draft. Um, if that's what you need, congratulations. You've planned your drafts. Well, uh, if you need a safety, there's not as much to look for, but there's still a lot of good players, um, at both spots throughout the draft. Um, I think in my top 100 right now, I have 15 cornerbacks. Um, and I, compared to my safeties, where I've got uh, just six in the same group. Um, but plenty of good guys out there to find, e- even in the later rounds. But I know our five has to stick to five, so I'll try and stay the course. Well, that's
0: why you get paid the hypothetical big bucks, you know, for now Ooh. until you actually start making big bucks off
1: of this. But Man, I can't wait until that checklist <laughs> Monopoly money comes through. It sounds oh, good.
2: Listen, we don't have a website anymore to put that up, but you could just send us a Word doc, and I'll figure out a way to turn it into a PDF and put it on Twitter if you want.
1: There you go. Just send that over, tweet at NFL. Tweet at the Raiders. They seem crazy enough to hire someone like me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, you'll make it a couple of years.
1: Yeah, exactly. The problem is hitching yourself to a Belichick guy. I mean, uh, that's not going to (laughs) work.
2: Yeah, right. But you
1: know what? You you can still turn a TV career out of it. Isn't that really everybody's dream? You go to the NFL, you bust your ass for too long, then you go to Bristol for a month?
2: (laughs) A month, yeah.
1: That seems to be the trajectory. Oh, fingers crossed, fellas. Fingers crossed.
2: (laughs) All right, you guys want to jump in? What position are we doing first? The boring one or the not-so-boring one, according to you guys?
1: I don't know. Do you want to get hard later or get blue-balled at the start? Mm. It's a tough one.
2: Tough call. Um,
1: uh, let's,
2: let's get blue-balled. Fuck it.
1: All right. Starting off with the corners it is. Uh, <laughs> yes. And then get ready for a good dry hump after this. <laughs> um. A
2: dry hump. It's more like going home and tugging.
1: Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> I mean, you're welcome to do it on air, but... <laughs>
2: We won't yeah, do that. We're not,
1: on... a, we're not a video pod, so yeah. you can get away
0: with
2: it. I'll only be doing yeah. that if that Jets news comes down.
1: <laughs> Perfect. Um, so, off the bat, even though this is a much better... I'm sweeping over there? Um, even though this is a much better class overall, there is no Sauce gardener in this one. Uh, last year, if you remember, Sauce was my number one player. Um, my top corner is a very good player, but he's not up there with Sauce. Um, and my number one's Christian Gonzalez uh, out of Oregon University. Though he's only spent one year at Oregon, and before that he was at Colorado. Um, his position coach, uh, his position coach, uh, switched over and went to Oregon, and he followed his coach. So that's how he went there. And he comes from hyper athletic bloodlines. His father was a semi pro basketball player. Both of his sisters are All-American in track, one at Texas, the other at Miami. Um, And that sort of athleticism really shows up with him. He's a little on the bigger size. At 6'1", he's got long arms, uh, 32 inches, and he's playing at a legitimate 200 pounds. Um, And that size comes through. But it's mostly that his size is mixed with some elite quickness. So he's able to use his arms at the line and in the routes to push receivers around and he's able to make the quick moves that are necessary and doing that at his size with a 41 and a half inch vertical that he ran and a sub 4440 And his testing numbers were elite. Um, And one of the most impressive things about this, when we talk about athletes and corners, a lot of times in the NFL, you're going to be playing on an Island. Um, And this is a guy who at the cornerback position where missed tackle rates can be real high has a 6% missed tackle rate. And especially when you're drafting someone in the top 10, like you're going to see him go, um, he's someone that you can trust on an island. Who's going to be able to be effective in the run game, in the bubble screen game, and all the other facets of the game. Um, and I think he's going to be a really effective player for a you know long time. He he just he bullies receivers. His hips are greasy. Um, the only things worth critiquing on him are a couple pieces with his hands and his feet. Um, the way I say his hands is when he attacks uh, the receivers, especially coming downhill on something quicker, like a hitch, um, he can attack the hands of the receivers more than the break um, or rather more than the ball. And that can get a little bit tricky, especially in the NFL where we see so many flags thrown and, uh, in college, you're allowed to push receivers all over the field um, as long as the ball's not out. But in the NFL, you only get those five yards, so blending those things is going to be tricky. Um, he's someone who I think best on the boundary, um, and that also helps him against some of the easier underneath passes, which he gives up um, a little more than people like, but part of that's also the Oregon scheme that they were using last year. Um, his backpedal, he could use a little bit of critique in terms of form to save some energy and get downhill a little bit quicker. But these are you know, things that I think are definitely able to be coached. He can play all through the secondary. And he's really scheme versatile. Man, zone, press, off, whatever it is that you want to do. I think um, yeah, Gonzalez is going to be able to do it all for whoever drafts him.
0: I've seen him mocked as high as number eight in the most recent mock I saw to the Falcons. do you think that's a reasonable you know area for him or is that a little much a little bit of a reach?
1: Nope, totally reasonable. Um, you know, we have the quarterbacks getting pushed up and if you know you take out will Levis and Anthony Richardson who may or may not be top ten grades, um, christian gonzalez is definitely someone who ought to be graded in that range. Um, eight to Atlanta, seven to the Raiders. If they don't go with a quarterback is another one that might be a good spot there. But if the Cardinals, I, I can't see them passing on Will Anderson for someone, but corner might be an even greater need for them. Um, you know, that it wouldn't stun me, especially if they trade back a bit. I know there's been some talk about them moving around, but the highest I could see him go with the board as it is would probably be the Lions, um, but that's dependent on the kind of player that you know they're looking for. But I think that six, seven, eight range. Um, maybe he gets ten with the Eagles. Um, I really hope not.
0: <laughs> I mean, they brought back Bad- Bradbury
1: and Slay. Would
0: they really go corner there? I mean, I know that's not what we're talking about right now, but.
1: Yeah, I mean the Eagles, though they they are not adverse to just adding depth in the first round, and they're they like to hit the secondary, but more than that, they really like to go on the line. So, um, you know, it it might not be the route that they go, but it wouldn't shock me either, given the short terms that both Bradbury and Slay have in their contracts. Yeah,
2: I'm just on pro football. Reference trying to find out the team with the highest missed tackle percentage to see if that's a fit for them. I also wanted to find out the NFL's average missed tackle percentage, but I can't do math that fast. Mm-hmm. Um, if anybody knows the average, just to give the just to give the listeners a little perspective at how good he is at making the tackles that are necessary. But I, I would like to see him go to a team. I mean, we're looking at Denver with 98 missed tackles, but they've got a lot more holes than corner. Um, I mean, I don't know. There's, just, I'm trying to think of a team picking in the the high draft picks here. Maybe, well, Cleveland gave up their pick, right?
1: Yeah. I'm trying to find um, a team
2: here. Jacksonville, maybe.
1: Yeah, I mean, if Houston wants to put them across from Stingley, yeah, I think that could be a hell yeah, of they, a matchup.
2: They were second in the league in missed tackles last year with ninety.
1: Yeah, I mentioned the Cardinals. They're another team that's um you know, always getting burned by their secondary mission something. Um, let's see if I can't pull up um, you know, a couple other players. But, you know, for the record, they're, um, you know, missed tackles at the cornerback position are very regularly um, double digits and in the uh, teens from there. So, um, you know, it's all about trying to find those pieces, but he is exceptional about coming downhill and making the right play. Um, you know, for instance, Sauce Gardner has a 7.6% missed tackle rate, and he was one of the best in the league to do it.
2: Oh, so he's um, even better.
1: I mean, he's got a better missed tackle rate in college.
2: Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I'm trying to get the fans excited here. But
1: that does I, translate
0: to the pros. We see that now. where guys who are, you know, the cornerback the position in today's NFL, you have to be able to make – plays in the open field like the ball hawk corners are really you know they get exposed now there's too much open field and if you can't make tackles or you don't want to make tackles you're going to be off the field no matter how anticipatory you are at ball hawking you know
1: oh yeah no it's huge um yeah just to pull out a couple other people tyson campbell played really well for the jacks last year he has a 12.2 isaiah oliver um who played well with the um falcons last year is that a 17% missed tackle rate. Um, Trent McDuffie last year was 14%. Uh, Jack Jones, who everyone's you know lauding for the Patriots and did great in coverage, 19% missed tackle rate. Michael Carter II with the Jets, uh, almost a 12% missed tackle rate. Uh, Desmond King with uh, the Texans, over 13%. Uh, Sean Murphy Bunting, uh, corner with the... Tampa Bay in about 500 snaps or, or excuse me starting full time he had a 22% miss tackle rate um, Emmanuel Mosley with the 49ers 21% yeah the list goes on Chidobe Awuzie with uh, Cincinnati 13% um, and we can go on um, the w- corner with uh, <laughs> the worst of them is probably and there are higher rates, but in terms of also like total snap counts. Um, Zion McCollum had almost three hundred snaps and is a thirty two percent missed tackle rate. Yeah, yeah you, those guys You can't those, keep guys playing just not, like that. those
0: guys are just not impact
1: players in today's NFL. Bradley Robey. Bradley Roby had twenty three percent miss tackle rate. Now that I finally have all these numbers up here it's working pretty well. <laughs>
2: well, all that tells me is that I love Sauce Sauce Gardner.
1: Yeah, I mean, Tariq Woolen at 6'4", he had 18% missed tackle rate. And I, I think the point's clear enough at the, in, right now. Just to give you a little bit of uh, perspective on how those missed tackle rates work and um, what it looks like for players in the NFL. And I think teams, or fans of teams who have some of these players, you know what it's like shaking your head every time watching another receiver break free or a running back just make an easy cut. And that turns 10-yard games into 50-yard games. Yeah,
0: and those are those are plays that
1: generally can cost you games
0: now. It just yep. – it ha- teams can score and move the ball so quickly, and as these teams are running these more quick, quick routes and you're getting guys in space, if you don't have a corner or safety that can make a tackle, I feel like at this point you're just – I don't want to say unplayable because they have other skill sets, but – It kills you, especially if you're playing a lot of close games. Mm
1: -hmm. No, absolutely.
2: Look at Lattimore a couple years back with the Saints when he missed that Mm -hmm. tackle uh, against Minnesota.
1: Yep. And that's very literally costing you a game. But even someone great like A.J. Terrell, who's been really good as a pro, 17% missed tackle rates. For perspective, that's more than one out of every six tackles that you miss. And this is someone who's a pro bowler.
0: What do you think, what do you think that Gonzalez transitions to into the pros? If he's at around a six in college, do you think he's in that sauce range year one?
1: He's got the length and technique for it. Now he's not hyper aggressive. He does a good job of wrapping up below the waist or grabbing on at the top. There's not a lot of drive back, um, in the sort of tackle he has. I think that, um, Hopefully you can coach, but sometimes with how aggression-related this can be, it's a little bit tougher to coach. But someone could get his feet chopping in the tackles; he might be able to push folks back a little bit. I don't think he has, you know, the same makeup as Sauce, Um, and I think that makeup helps Sauce. But he should; these numbers translate pretty well, typically, so long as there aren't any um, outliers in height, weight, sorts of measurements. And he fits the bill for someone who these numbers should carry through. I'd expect below a 10% missed tackle rate right from him. Love that. Yeah.
2: All right, ready to move on to the next guy, Sean?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, now, Sean, I hate to break it to you. It's unlikely the first few guys are going to make it to the Giants. But you know, so <laughs> still, still worth figuring out. And um, You know, it's very possible one of them ends up with the Commanders. So... You know, we'll see how some of these other guys go. Uh, But my number two in uh, this is Joey Porter out of Penn State. Um, Six foot two, long arms. You know, he's someone who's, you know, really just an albatross in pads. His press technique is exceptional. His feet um, are lined up great with his hands. And that's something that I think really allows him to do professional things. Um, and while he's in college, being able to show that sort of technique, especially when someone is a little bit of an outlier physically, as he is, you know, being six foot two, two hundred plus pounds, um, and he also tested pretty well in terms of the sorts of numbers that we want um, to see from someone, especially um, with all. I, excuse me, he didn't test at all. What, or hang on, got my brain scrambled for a second. You're good. Um, <laughs> six two and a half long arms uh he ran a four four six he had a great broad jump he's joey porter's sons the old Steelers great um and he plays and acts like a professional which is something i think that especially with the sorts of news that other players have been making cough cough jalen carter um it's great to see you know the other sides of those stories people who are um you know handling everything that comes with it and you know, doing it with great consistency. Now, he's someone who doesn't have um, the same pieces with, uh, in terms of tackling his his wrap needs to be stronger. Um, but I think if you have him in the right scheme, and for most of the corners here, that's going to be important. And Joey Porter, um, you know, needs to be in the sort of Piece where he's going to be either in a lot of cover two or two man where he can work a press. Um, because when he's able to do that, if he's with someone who's going to let him be aggressive and press up on people, um, that's going to be something that's really going to unleash a lot of the talent that he does have. Um, the only other piece that I'd say, you know, around tackling is that even with his wrap up. Pieces, I think he's still pretty good. It's le- not about the rap. It's not about the aggression. It's about the angles, um, especially in the run game. Uh, he's, he's honestly better at tackling receivers in space, it seems, because he can get those long arms around people and bring them down like that. But in the run game, he doesn't always do a great job of keeping the edge and can take some bad angles. Other things that can lead to big plays. But with his you know, size, speed, length, you know, those three pieces that always keep coming back in terms of corner measurements. Um, You don't get that often. And to pair that with someone who's as long as he is and as good as he is at turning back to the ball. um, I think that's a pretty unique sort of player because it in man, especially in college where you're allowed to face guard, it's really common for corners to just put their hands up try and block it and then crash down on the hands but Joey Porter's trying to turn and make a play on the ball um, and often takes away from somebody too so um, yeah so he's he's my uh, also he he did miss a couple games this year but it was with appendicitis um I don't that slide yeah I don't fine. think he'll get it again <laughs> but he just my final points on him. Um, his arm length is in the 95 percentile of corners who so have had that measured at the combine, and he had a 40 percent forced completion rate, where he's the reason that the ball gets dropped, where he puts a hand in and breaks it up, uh, and that 40 percent led all Power Five corners. Wow, yeah, yeah. He, he's someone who's going to be a press in your face, pure boundary man or press zone sort of player, but. If you let him do what he does best, he's going to be someone who starts you for years.
0: I mean, I like the I like the sound of all of that. I, I've seen him mocked in that like mid to late teens range. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, as we get through your list here, there's a lot of subjectivity with the cornerback position because it is so good and it is so deep.
1: But do yeah. you think that's
0: a reasonable you know area for him in the upcoming draft?
1: Yeah, and it's it's very much dependent on what teams are looking for. A lot of the mocks have my number three guy ahead of him, which is, you know, fine. I think people can have reasonable disagreements about some of these rankings. You know, if you're putting a fifth rounder up there, we have a problem. But when we're fighting about the top three guys and the exact order of them, you know, I think it's pretty reasonable. A lot of folks have Witherspoon ahead of Porter. I don't. Um, but if that's the way that the board wants to go and it's also a lot about team fit um you know finding the teams that still play a lot of press man when so many folks are moving to a lot of cover three and cover one shells and things like that along the way it's, it's trying to find the perfect match now if you got him with um you know a rex ryan a wink martin you know someone who wants to blitz and play that press and cause chaos like that, you know, you got a hell of a guy. If he ends up in Seattle, people are going to complain because he doesn't do what Seattle does great, um, which is a lot of that cover 3 shell. Um, you know, uh, and it's a lot about making those matches. I I think Porter could be in that, you know, range up there with uh, you know, at the back end of the top 10, but probably somewhere in the teens is, you know, totally reasonable for him to Cool.
0: Tom, do you have any more questions on, uh, Porter jr. Or do you want to have Frenchie move on to his third?
2: No, I want to talk Witherspoon. I got a feeling this is where he's got him ranked. I think you hinted at it already.
1: Yeah, it is. Devin Witherspoon from Illinois. Number three. Um, uh, they actually did a DNA test on him and he's 45% bulldog, which is pretty impressive. Wow. Um, hyper aggressive. Well Me. done Frenchie. There it is. The first of the year. Boom. We, uh, he, he plays the way you beg people to play and then some. He His aggression is incredible. His trigger, when he sees the ball coming out, his ability to snap down on the ball is exceptional. Um, he does a great job, especially in zone, when he's able to make those crashes down on the ball. He also does a really good job of making plays on the ball, Um rather than just trying to play the receiver's hands. On deep passes, he does um, tend to play towards the hands, but you know, a bit of that is because on a deep ball with the arc that it has and him not having the sort of exceptional size of Porter and Gonzalez, um, you know, that's, he plays what you have to play. He's smaller and lighter than both of them and plays more physical and more aggressive than either of them. Now, why I've got him a little bit behind those guys and I still have him in my, you know, top 12 or so spots. Um, need to pull up some other sheets to find exactly where, but, um, you know, he's a hell of a player, but he can lose at the line of scrimmage. Um, he can get pretty handsy. He fights on double moves. That's really the way that you want to beat him is to be able to get him in a spot where he can overcommit, where you use his aggression against him. Um, And the final piece is the other two have something that he doesn't have, which is real catch up speed. You know, when someone gets past you, um, you know, you got to get back to him and he doesn't have that. If you, if you beat him, he's beat. Um, he doesn't always have that ability to get back and stop that big play at the last second. Whereas the other two do And this isn't to say that he's a bad player. I think, um, his mentality, his aggression, um, especially if you can get him in a zone scheme, uh, I think are going to make him a great player. He'll be a fan favorite wherever he lands. And he's really the first of these that I think plays just as well when brought into the slot as they do on the outside.
0: That versatility is a key, you know, to me. And I think that, you know, falling for that double move, we see a lot of guys do that. You know, it, it is a different game. But totally coachable. That's what I was just going to say, right? That's something that you can easily correct. That's not something that, you know, is really a scarlet letter on him by any
1: stretch. Nope, abs- absolutely not. And all of this, again, we're we're kind of, you know, nitpicking guys at the top of the list. They're all going to be great pros here. Um, but out of all of them, he's, he's got the – I want to say biggest holes, but none of these are big holes in his resume. Um, pro football focus has his comp as Darius Slay. And I think that's a pretty good one in terms of the player he can be. Um, and another part of it is the other two guys have been doing it longer. You know, Witherspoon's had one year of round one play. And if you went off his previous tape, he might've gotten drafted. Now that's not to say he doesn't deserve to be here, but when people have more experience and more proof of something, it's just kind of weighs a bit more in their favor. Um, he's also another one who's a bit handsy. And again, all of these can kind of um, be coached out and are very fixable pieces. But um, I just want to give a bit of my explanation of why I have Witherspoon at three um, when a lot of folks have them at one or two, because You know, goddamn, I love the way he plays like his his tape might be the most fun to watch. Um, And I know fun doesn't win you games, but it's, um, you know, worthwhile because that points to the sort of playmaking knack that he has his aggression, his smarts and the way that he just pops out of a break in order to come down and make a play on somebody is awesome.
0: I also find, too, like when we're talking about these guys and listening to you, you know, analyze each of these prospects, to me it's like, you know, you're also being asked to do something in what is a different game. As we well know, college football is different than pro football. So some of these things like where you mentioned with Gonzalez, where he makes a little bit more play, you know, towards the hands as opposed to the ball. Like, you know, if that's what you're being asked to do and you're not going to get flagged for it and the refs are going to allow that, that's yep. something you can get away with knowing that on the next level you can't, and that's why there's position coaches to to kind of make that change for you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's the sort of um, you know what we have here is a lot of spots where coaching is going to help. Now, the head coach at Illinois probably almost been an NFL coach and is a hell of a guy, but it's not like the position coaches are going to be at the same level that they saw. Um, but just quickly with Witherspoon here. Um, in 2020, his passer rating allowed was 122. In 21, it was 87. And this year, it dropped all the way to 25. Mm. Like, that's a man who's done a hell of a lot of work and built on his craft. And I, I think it's another one who's going to be a really good pro. The cornerback class this year is outstanding.
2: He sounds like a slot corner to me.
1: Uh, he could be a great one.
2: Yeah, just because he's going to get more safety help over the middle if he gets beat, and mm-hmm. he's an aggressive guy that can press at the line.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd love to be able to put in a situation like that. Yeah, it, I, I know the Broncos don't have a pick, but I'm just thinking about him and Sertain somewhere together right now. I'm not entirely <laughs> certain why, um, but, man, if he goes – There's so many places where he'd be a great fit, and it's hard not to just take the attitude that he plays with and the sort of abilities that he has and the physicality and not want to immediately pair that with Dan Campbell in Detroit.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's kind of right where he's mocked at in a lot of the mocks I've seen, right at that, like, between 16 and 19 range. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he very well could be there, and he's another one who I think – the these top three guys I think are pretty much around the clock, the top three. It's about the order they're in, um, and, you know, who needs a corner and what type do you want? That's, that's what we're talking about here. All right, let's move to your number four. I feel like number it falls four. off
2: a cliff here, by the way.
1: Yeah, I, I won't say off a cliff. it it, it may you roll down a hill (laughs) (laughs) um so i have what's the six receivers with first round grades um so while i don't have all of them in that i think witherspoon is my number 11 or 12 player right now um but yeah these guys are more about you know Back half in the twenties, maybe sorts of players who you know are still going to be good players, but they've got a couple um, bigger holes in their game. Um, my number four player has a very large hole, which is pretty ironic because his biggest problem is his weight. Um, my player here is Emmanuel Forbes from Mississippi State, um, and the skinny reason boy. Pardon?
2: I said he's a skinny boy.
1: Oh, he yeah, he's a twig, and, and that is the problem. Is the fact that he's six one, with six with thirty two plus inch arms and weighed in at one sixty six, and not just weighing in at one sixty six, but that's what he weighs in at the combine. So you know that wasn't his playing weight. People go into the combine trying to fix the flags. That's the weight he got to for the combine.
2: So we're looking at like probably one fifty nine.
1: That yeah, I think that's closer to my guess in terms of what he played at. I mean like rail thin is overused but this is the time to use it you know jeez. but for me that's his flaw and that's going to be something you hope with an nfl weight room it'll help but at the same time it's not like these guys don't have exceptional weight rooms and coaching staffs um in college i think with his frame i don't see a reason he couldn't get at least to something like 170 175 but you know this is where he's at now weight typically leads to issues in the physical parts of the game right but he is a pretty sound tackler um and he has some really good press skills um he played mostly the sorts of schemes where you're going from press into um excuse me press into a cover three or playing off in that cover three, and his testing numbers were great. His weights, what's scary. He does a good job of tackling, but his tackling, a lot of it is, you know, knees and below. Um, This is really the piece where he's got to improve. The flip side of that is uh, my comp with him is Trevon Diggs because he has world-class ball skills. No, no one in this class has better ball skills. He makes better plays on the balls than a lot of receivers. He has the uh, FBS record for pick sixes. He has six interceptions returned for touchdown in the last three years. He has 14 career interceptions, and he had six interceptions this past year. His arm length really allows him to be able to compete in all sorts of situations. He has a good trigger Um he does an awesome job of reading um, the QB, especially in zone. I think he's much more suited to his own sort of scheme. Um, and that'll also help keep him off of the island as much when it comes to trying to make some of those tackles that he's doing, you know, blow the waist, trying to just wrap up and hold on so much. Um, if you are comfortable with his size, and I, I don't mean to discount how important that weight is and just but if you can put it aside, or if it's something you think that you can fix, you're getting a guy coming in at six-one, long arms, who makes better plays on the ball than anyone else, who's effective in press, who's done well in zone, and who has, you know, the the best knack for getting balls into the other team's end zone that there's been. Yeah, and, and I
2: think you got to talk about special teams with this guy too. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think especially on something like punt return, yeah. where you can just get those long arms and that press on somebody, I mean, he's, he's going to be great for whoever's able to get a hold of him there. Um, but you want to talk about other special teams, he's probably not going to be on your kick return unit. Um, you know, no. just getting blasted every
2: time. <laughs> yeah, no, he'll be flattened. He's he's oh, probably yeah. the definition. And I haven't watched much Mississippi State. I'm just learning college football. As Sean knows, I never really cared about We're it. We're very me. proud
0: of him, Frenchy. He 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 was dialed in this past fall. It was it was really a sight to see. That's awesome. Yeah, hey, I'm a those... USC
2: fan now, and I've already planted my flag. I've entered the transfer portal after this season, and I'm moving over to Tennessee
1: absolutely good after uh
2: after Caleb leaves um well and but, I
1: think that's great too because that way you and Sean can have that wonderful back and forth that third day
2: exactly um this guy's got to be the definition of an ankle tackler though where he just grabs onto your shoestrings at the last second
1: yeah and he's really good about it <laughs>
2: Hey, listen, I mean, I, he would look really good in a Giants uniform, and if he wants to drive up to me, I can help him put on weight real quick. It might not be the good kind, but I can help him.
0: <laughs> yeah, we had a pod where Tom was, you know, talking about the bacchanal of a feast that he had after a round of golf. So. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, but, <laughs> That's to me, you know, you mentioned Trayvon Diggs as a comp, and obviously when you make comps, you're not saying that he's going to become this player, but it's a similar style as when he came out of the draft. And, you know, Diggs has his issues, you know, particularly with tackling. But he is a ball hawk, and he's going to make a lot of impactful plays during the course of a season. And shit, maybe, you know, in a perfect world, you want to draft a corner like your first two guys, um, obviously Gonzalez and and Porter, who are much better at tackling in the open space. But you like to also have that guy where there's a 50-50 ball and you have more confidence in your corner coming down with it than the other team's receiver.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's such a good comp.
2: because I mean, the other guys sound like just steady guys that are going to be all pros for their entire career. Where this guy is going to be the ones where one where you're seeing him on highlight reels. Where you're where as a fan of a team, you're banging your head against the wall a la Trayvon Diggs when he misses a tackle, like every every other play. But then he makes that massive pick that nobody else on the field could make.
1: Exactly. And I I think those are the sorts of things that every player, every coaching staff and the rest have to do. The only other thing I'd say um, with Forbes in terms of what you would have to do for him or Forbes him. um, Nice. Be here all week. uh, Is work with him on his uh, back pedal and the starting points out of the cover three. And that's more to do with this, the weird cover three footwork scheme And the way that they have their hips at the start of the play, they kind of have their hips open towards the quarterback rather than, you know, set for a backpedal. And that's Mississippi State's coaching style. So it's just one more thing that um, teams are going to have to work on. And I do think something like a a team like Seattle, he's perfect for, but Seattle's got some pretty good corners already. Um, But that sort of scheme in terms of allowing players to – You know, be handsy, work the press, bail into that zone um, and just use what they have. Um, And I think he's going to be if if the coaches can get him in the right spot, I think he's going to be a hell of a guy.
0: Where have you seen him mocked and where do you think is a probably realistic range for him? Um,
1: I think that. A place I, I think the Giants would be a good spot for him. Uh, I think the Ravens, he's been mocked more in the one-to-two range, though I have him firm in a first-round pick. Um, But in the (sighs) – there's just so many spots. I want so many of these guys. Um, I think he'd be good there. Maybe as high as Washington, um, he could take command of that defense. Um, See what you did there, too. Nicely done. Thank you. Um, maybe the Bengals could be a spot again, the Eagles at 30, they love just stocking up on these guys. Um, he's, if the Eagles get him at 30, he's going to kind of red shirt, get the weight on and then he'll be an all pro. It'll be frustrating. Um, but maybe in the second round, um, the Steelers, the Cardinals at 34, you know, their cornerback group is arguably the worst in the league. Um, you know, Seattle if they want to add another corner I, I already mentioned them um Saints at 40 um could be another one Falcons depending on where they go um with their first pick it wouldn't be stunning to um it might be a little if they do that <laughs> <Talk myself laughs> yeah that
0: that seems like a far fall from somebody who's mocked you know as quick as as high as 17 or 18.
1: This is going to be a weird year. Every, everyone is saying that Peter King just came out with a great article about how these mock drafts don't know shit. And that everyone he talks to says that this year is going to be outrageous. And we think every year is, but they think it'll be even more so all the better. Cause personally, I love the chaos. You're an agent of chaos. <laughs> Let's move on to five. Uh, Deontay banks, Maryland. Um, just an absolute he if you built the corner in the lab like there you go you found him this this was the guy Deontay Banks um he's out of Maryland and he's someone who I think is a little bit more uh interchangeable in terms of whether you're playing man or zone so if you have a scheme where you're going to be doing a lot of both he's someone who I think will be really good for you um He's got height, weight, speed, agility especially um, is one of the things that I think is his calling card. Um, He had a 42-inch vertical and a 4.35 on the 40, and that just means that the combine exploded when he did stuff, plus an 11.4 broad jump. Uh, But more importantly, it's what you see on the tape with all of these guys. His length, you know, coming in at six foot with almost... Uh, 31 and a half for arms a real 200 pounds he honestly is kind of built more like a safety but he's able to move like a corner um length is great he's able to do a great job especially of mirroring um both a man and zone and his lower half i think you know we don't want to cut anybody up like this but his lower half is definitely the better of the halves um He's got the agility, the movement skills, everything that you are looking for in that lower half of his body. Um, And he uses that in tackling as well. He's someone else. He's a great tackler, uses his length well. Um, He's definitely a little closer to Witherspoon than Forbes um, because he's willing to put the hurt on somebody. The reasons that I think he's here and has more to work on than some of the other guys is because he's a bit more athlete than corner at the moment. And that's a lot to do with the way that his feet and his hands go together. Um, In press, especially, his feet and hands aren't in sync, and that means he's turning late. And it's not that he doesn't have the greasy hips to make those turns, it's that the timing of those turns is slow. And when he's going downfield again, when he's turning, he struggles to find the ball. Um, especially in the NFL where you can't be as physical, being able to turn, find the ball, and make the play on the ball rather than grabbing arms and catching a yellow flag, all the more important. Um, so I think those are the things that he's going to have to work on, but he's someone who I think, especially with the sort of coaching and continued growth that's going to happen when you get drafted like that, um, he, he's going to be someone who I also think is going to be a you know solid first-round pick um, really good pick, probably for someone in the 20s. Um, my, one of my favorite picks that I've seen in upper mocks is um, keeping the Maryland kid at home and giving him to the Ravens. Um, it, his combine numbers were exceptional, and he's shown the sort of steady growth as a player in the last couple of years that you would want. So that you know you can see how that athleticism is turning into um, you know a hell of a player. He's got the traits, and it's helping those traits become talent. That hasn't been an immediate process, like when Witherspoon exploded on the scene. Um, But Banks is going to be someone who I think will continue to grow um, because, again, it's stuff that he has that's fixable. And I know we've talked about missed tackle rates and percentages and things like that, um, but this is just a counting stat. He missed one tackle last year. That's incredible. Wow. As a corner. Right. <laughs> you know? Um, so that's, again, going back to those sorts of numbers, It's it makes you feel that much more confident to put him out there. You know, people are going to make mistakes at the things that you're learning. And as he continues to learn his craft and his position at corner, you know, hope those mistakes come down. It's a lot harder to fix guys who have to or choose to or just don't have the aggression to... Wrap up, make a play, take someone down. And frankly, he enjoys that part of the game. You know, there's some corners out there where it's part of the job. You know, this is part of the game for him.
2: I'd love to see him if he fell to the second round thirty seven Seattle.
1: Oh yeah. God yes. Him with That's... Woolen. Oh, it, wouldn't be it fair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It'd be a hell of a matchup with them. um yeah, he he's someone I think Seattle if I mean I wouldn't be stunned if he, Seattle took him at 20 instead. Oh wow. Uh, 18, 19 Lions and Bucks. Yeah, again, I've got six corners with first round grades. Um but yeah, anyone from the Lions at 18 onward um wouldn't stun me if they took him. And apparently it's been going around that um he he's done really well in the pre-draft process as well too. And I know that's it's such a weird thing for us to say because we don't know what it means, but, <laughs> but it, we don't know like the parts of the process and what exactly he's doing great and how he impressed somebody. But we know that the pre-draft process and the elements of impressing people along the way um, are so critical in terms of making sure that your stock stays high.
0: Well, especially when you have so many of your contemporaries that are gonna be picked around the same area as you. You wanna distinguish yourself from the rest.
1: Absolutely. His uh, testing numbers did that and then you know, he he won combine all weekend long, not just with the testing numbers, but interviewing with teams and he he went around the block. He interviewed with a ton of guys, So,
2: Sean, I think that Frenchie should give us pre draft interviews.
0: <laughs> I'm all for it.
2: Like I heard that that uh, one of the players I saw on some podcasts, I don't know if it was last year's draft or whatever, they asked him a question where if you're eating at Chipotle and there's napkins on the table, do you mm-hmm. throw them out, do you leave them, or do you use them? Yep. And if they looked unused, that's a question I have a tough time with.
1: Yeah. Um, I think we should just go straight up with you know some of the deeper philosophical ones. <laughs> yeah, you know, but let's say. Well, you'd have a fucking field day with that. All right, give me one.
2: Give me one, and I'll give yeah, you the answer. You give say, me a grade.
1: Uh, Roy shoots Jim on a Monday. Mm. On Tuesday, Roy gets hit by a bus and dies. Mm. On Wednesday, Jim dies from the gunshot wounds. When did Roy kill Jim?
2: Well, Roy getting hit by a bus has nothing to do with Jim's murder. All
1: right.
2: That's an outside thing. Unfortunate sure. for Roy, but kind of deserved, if you ask me. Unfortunate. Karma, karma man. He's a murderer. That's um, exactly it. But, I mean, yeah, I think, I think Roy killed Jim on the Monday. That's when the act happened. No?
1: I mean, he killed him on a Monday, but Jim didn't die for two more days. He killed someone before he died. Yeah, but he doesn't
0: die unless <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't die unless he's shot by Roy. Exactly. Right. Yeah, come
1: to class sometime, guys. You'll have a blast. Well, Appreciate what's, what's your... with you For several years, I know the drill. <laughs> what's the answer <laughs>
2: to that? What's your answer?
1: Uh, I I agree. I think you can kill someone before they're dead which doesn't make any sense when I say it out loud, but that was when Roy committed
2: <laughs> the act. Well, yeah, he committed the act that caused the death.
1: Right.
2: Do you think yeah. I have a chance at being a professor? I'd say so. Oh, well, thank you. What school, Harvard or lower lower than that?
1: Slightly. Not okay. much. You might have to fall down to, like, a Brown.
2: <laughs> I'm still in the Ivy League, so I'll take it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but that Ivy, come on. Yeah. my state degrees.
2: Who wants to go to what is it? Rhode Island? <laughs> yeah. It's
0: been a strong climb for Tom out of uh out of Dutchess County or wherever you're from.
2: Putnam Dick.
0: Putnam County. <laughs> sorry. Well, no, I think we I, should sorry, do What I said gave
1: you credit. Um
2: I think we should do at least one of those questions per per pod. Well,
1: I'm all for you, it. You remember it, what was it? Des Bryant was asked in the pre-draft interviews if his mom was a was a whore. Yeah. Oh, that's tough.
2: That's a I tough. I think scene. that
1: was by Atlanta.
2: Maybe that. Well, team. I think they were trying to get a reaction out of him to see if he was if he was going to lose his shit.
1: <laughs> and uh, in Dan Campbell's first year, he had uh, he was playing rock paper. Was no, it was Nick Sirianni who was playing rock paper scissors to see how competitive the players got that he was interviewing.
0: Remember how much shit we gave the Sirianni hire from that press conference?
1: I think about it far too often.
0: Oh, I hate him so much. Um, Tom, yeah, before he's, we he's move off.
1: A, he's turned out to be a hell of a coach. It, and Zach Taylor, I, both of them have been surprisingly great. and It's really changed the way that I've evaluated some of these hires because I think that's what we're all trying to do is, you know, make our comments, put it out there best we can, and then try and learn from it each time we get a new cycle.
2: Yeah, we got to pick up the pieces from those two.
0: (laughs) Um, Frenchie, I have one bigger picture question. And Tom, I, I think honestly, you could answer this too. Like, there's still a lot of good free agent safeties on the board that have not been signed. Are they waiting for this process to play out as teams look to see, build their secondary around one of these guys? Did and mean, is their market really gonna be hurt? Are they gonna be signing like one year deals? Show me deals.
1: Did you mean corners?
0: Isn't that what I said?
1: You said safeties.
0: Did I say safeties? Corners yeah. then, yeah, sorry. It's all right. We're Luckily wrong. we yeah. have it recorded to make sure.
2: That's right. <laughs> you did say safeties. We can go back <laughs> yeah. and check the tape if you want. No,
1: yeah. if you both said it then I, that's clearly I'm um, well, outnumbered. But yes, um, I might take the first answer with
2: that. Uh listen, I think I think you're absolutely right with that take. I, I do think that it's going to saturate the market a little bit just mm-hmm. because I think the depth is there. The top-end talent, like French said, it's not there. There's no Sauce Gardner. There's no um. what's the guy at a L S U LSU last year uh, that went to Houston. I can't think Stingley. of his name. There's none of those guys, but there is guys that you could replace on a cheap rookie deal where the ones that you're either re-signing or looking to sign are not as important. So I think that immediately after the draft, those guys are going to get signed and – it's going to be one short show me deal because all these other guys are going to be cheap on rookie deals.
1: Yeah, I'm totally with you there. And we, we know that teams love to teams that always prefer to play someone who's cheap, you know, and we're able to get some, a lot of cheap people. I think we've seen this a lot in the wide receiver market too, where we get a really deep wide receiver class in the draft. And it means that free agents have to hold off on signing. And just here, it's a different position.
0: Yeah, I agree. I I do think, too, is like with all these corners, like it's a position that if you draft the right guy, you want to give that second contract to. Um, (laughs) So, you know, you want to let's get this guy playing as quickly as possible, throw him into the fire. uh, And hopefully he's, you know, stalwart in our
1: secondary for years to come. Yeah, and you always would rather pay homegrown talent because you know all the things that you don't when you bring someone in from the outside. But and also too, we've got you know quite a few corners that are available here. But when you have the opportunity to draft someone who's going to be younger, um, more controllable contractually, and all those pieces, like it, it's just much better value to be able to do that. But you also know that with how saturated it's going to get after the draft. Let's say you miss on somebody. Well, you still have Marcus Peters, Shaquille Griffin, um, Anthony Abright, Eli Apple, um, Rakicson. You know all of these sorts of guys who will be able to um, you know step in and potentially get them on a cheaper deal. You know nobody wants to pay first day free agency rates.
2: So that sounds to me like things are looking good for the Giants. Then either way,
1: I I, I think they're in a pretty decent spot in terms of getting a corner. Um, although I, I must admit some surprise with. I, th- I thought Marcus Peters would go a little bit quicker there, but um, that's all right. The, one of the players I've been pushing, especially because I thought he'd be a little bit cheaper, was Rocky Sin, and you know, you had me on when I was talking about him pre-draft. I liked him then. I still like him now, and I think it's terrible that he, he had to shift from being a press man guy who's good in press man, and then he goes play for Patrick Graham um, and totally changes everything that he was used to, and um, I think it's hurt his market a bit, but you should find a good home. Yeah, I think Peters to the Giants
0: could, could happen at some point after the draft heading into the summer.
1: Definitely. And there, there's there's a lot that could be done for most of these guys here. I just you know, it, it's the way that the market plays out. Sometimes you hold off because of how many options you have, and sometimes you spend fifteen million guaranteed on a guy with two ACL tears. Oof.
2: That's all I'm gonna say about that. You guys want to move? On. You <laughs> well, guys- yeah,
0: I, I think I think that awkward silence uh, pretty much said everything. Uh, now we can move on to the prices. safeties.
1: <laughs> uh, do we have to? Come on. I know we, we got Cam Smith, Keeley Ringo, Tyreek Stevenson, Julius Brentz, Clark Phillips. Oh, uh, we'll get to them. Later. I'm just
0: gonna assume some of these guys are gonna be in your French favorites when you give that list. All right, we can
1: we can assume. Okay see what that turns you into i know what it does um, i'm gonna take
2: yeah. i'm gonna take a wild guess on these safeties and think that there's one guy worth taking in the first couple of rounds and then everybody else kind of falls off
1: uh one guy in the first or second one guy in the second dish and uh yeah brian brian branch at the top uh the board fruit stays pretty even with everyone else because you don't have a ton of options and worst of all um whether or not he's a safety or a corner is, frankly, debatable. Um, most of what he played is in the slots. Um,
2: Where would he rank if you had him as a corner? Would he even be close to your top five?
1: Uh He'd be in that. He'd probably be fighting Forbes Banks, Cam Smith in my four through six. Maybe ahead of Smith and behind Banks at six. Okay. Um he he brings a lot of size and versatility to it, and he can go inside where um, Cam Smith also can. But he's got a lot more physicality, versatility. He doesn't, he hasn't, and does not play a lot of deep safety. He's mostly going to be a slot player and a money backer. He's going to play kind of, you know, within seven yards of the line of scrimmage most of the time. Um, The ringer actually had a comp with him that I really liked, which was Jalen Petrie. Um, He's the Baylor safety, who's now with the Texans. I think that's a really strong comp into the sort of person that he is, or player that he is, rather, because he's great in the slot, in the box. He blitzes well. He can do man coverage against big slots, tight ends. Um, And once again, to hit on the tackle percentages, um, he has a missed tackle rate for his career of 3.2%. And what that actually comes from is the fact that he's only missed four tackles in his 174 attempts of his career. Is that he, good? Is that uh, good? It, it, it's not bad. Um, deep safety, not there. His speed doesn't show up great. Um, watch him against Tennessee if you don't want to draft him. Um, <laughs> watch him against a hell of a lot of other teams, though, if you do. His athleticism's just average. His speed was just shy of a 4'6", which for his safety is still not great. Um, he's someone who I think is more of a tight end eraser and a blitzer than he is, you know, pure versatile safety. But he's he's just gonna be a damn good player. Uh can I, I give,
2: you a, can I give yeah, you a comp? Can I give you a comp? What do you think about Eric Weddle?
1: Mm. I like that comp, too. I think Thank you. I do just... a bit more on the back end of it. But, in ter- yeah, with what they all do that close to it, I think that's a pretty good comp.
0: Thank you, Sean. More player, too.
2: Draft expert, no big deal.
0: Yep. You love your comps, though, dude. You, always you come has... up with them fast. I'm a sucker hey, for don't a comp. do
1: forget when he brought up Kyle Pitts. Oh, I he's... remember it well. And then all the times he brought up bringing up Kyle Pitts. And the times he still brings up Kyle Pitts. Hey, he knew Kyle Pitts before anyone did. He
2: I did. I birthed Kyle Pitts from my loins. <laughs> I, I found him. I put him in the incubator. I cooked him up, and that was my guy. And I, I haven't found him found in one a basket
1: time. floating in a river. <laughs> exactly. The stalk I brought him to me. to kill Pharaoh. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, uh,
2: <laughs> I got to hang my hat on something.
1: Oh, Absolutely. That's a hell of a one to do.
0: Um, I think you were big on Travis Etienne as well. Yeah, huge,
2: huge. And he's going to be cooking. He had a great year last year.
1: It's amazing what having an adult coach does. <laughs> coach who doesn't smell like divorce and cores. <laughs> Dude, honestly, like that's
0: the thing about Jacksonville, where any rookie, any young player, it's like, just wash
1: away the 2021 season. It didn't happen. The definition
2: of a grain of salt.
1: It's fake. Yeah. I I think they were just trying to get better players in the draft. God, (laughs) we're terrible. Anyway, um, number two, safety. (laughs) Uh, Antonio Johnson, Texas A&M. He's someone who I have just outside my top 50, if that tells you a bit of where he is and a bit of the safety class. Um, He's from Texas A&M. He's a pure, strong safety. He's going to struggle even just taking out the quicker guys in the slot. He's very much a real strong safety, I think probably more zone than man. He's got great size. He's exceptional coming downhill. He, he and Devin Witherspoon, I think, would be great friends in terms of just the aggression that they bring coming downhill. Um, and he's someone who I think is an instant spark plug for a team. Um, Go ahead.
2: I feel. I just feel like it's tough being a pure, strong safety in today's NFL. Agreed. You just can't yeah. lay the wood anymore.
1: Totally, and it's just part of it is that position has just shifted because we have smaller linebackers, we have you know bigger slot corners, and all sorts of ways that we kind of compensate for that position dying out in itself. And you know that's if if this was the 1980s, he'd probably be a first round player but it's going to be a little tough for him to find a home Um, despite how great he is in so many of the other areas. um, But he also didn't do himself favors um, at the combine. He tested pretty poorly. Um, He came in really weight, uh, really lightweight. His bench was in the bottom 2% of all safeties. And his vertical was the bottom 6% of all safeties. If I could just tell you how, Um, either poorly prepared or lacking in athleticism, he is.
0: But what does the game tape show to you? I mean, like, you you know, the measurables, I understand, are very important. You know me with the combine. It's a dilemma of mine every year, all the time, for every kind of player and position. But does the game tape show if he gets into the right scheme, if he's asked to do – you know, the, I know, you know, Tom, you said it very well. You're not allowed to lay the wood that much anymore in today's NFL. But if he's put in the right team, does that game tape reflect a little more positively than, you know, not a great draft process?
1: I mean, it couldn't reflect worse, right? I mean, it, you can't lay the wood, but he certainly lays the stick. And <laughs> he, I think, will be great in terms of lining up with tight ends. He's awesome against the run. Um, he is when it comes to the physical parts of the game, he's a pro regardless of what it shows in the pre-draft process. My question in pre-draft stuff is the goal is always that great things are shown on the tape. He kind of sounds like
2: a middle linebacker to me.
1: He does. He really does. Um, You know, he might be better off as a will. Maybe someone makes that shift, but he's 6'2", 200 pounds. Um, if he could carry that much weight, you know, maybe you make that switch and put him into the will. Um, but he's, he's in that weird kind of spot where he is too small to be at the line of scrimmage full time, but that's where he's at his best. And if you're taking someone like him, you better have a role planned for someone like that.
2: Where do you have him in your draft?
1: Uh, round ballpark I have, range uh, I would say He goes 60 to 70 Oof. Back end of the second
2: Yeah it's kind of it kind of Really falls off a cliff when it comes to Safeties quick
1: Oh yeah there's one and he's Mostly a slop. and after That we're talking You know a couple of others in the top 100 and that's a lot closer to 100 Than one
0: Wow yeah, that is that is not a strong position whatsoever. Is there any Isaiah Simmons to you? Like maybe like a poor man's Isaiah Simmons in terms of that safety kind of linebacker type?
1: Uh, next guy, if you'll allow me to do my job. Oh, no. <laughs> you can do whatever <laughs> you want for me, French. Go ahead. In. All
0: right, you know what? I'm going to sit the next couple plays out. I'm sorry.
1: I'm going to tell you, that was excellent timing, though, because it really does lead me into the next guy. His name is J.L. Skinner. Now, I know what you're thinking. What does JL stand for? And it doesn't stand for anything. His name is just JL.
2: <laughs> I like that. <laughs> with, His parents got a little lazy. makes
1: me love him. <laughs> um, he is 6'4", 210, with good short area burst, nice transition. His coverage went up way better, and he is an absolute thumper at 6'4". So he's uh, a linebacker. Another one, but he actually has spent more time um, playing off man, starting eight plus yards downfield. His hips are a little too tight to be at the free safety spot often, but he was there and had some success with that at Boise state. Um, His back pedal is excellent. He has really good short area bursts. So he's someone who I think can play slop um, will, a little bit of free, but you probably wouldn't want him starting there most of the time. Um, built like a linebacker, a little bit. But even at 6'4", uh, 210, I think he could throw on a bit more weight if you wanted him to and get him closer to the line of scrimmage. Um, if that's where you're going to put him, get a little bit more weight on because he you might not love his hips and his... Is turned towards the receiver, especially on a deep ball. So let's say you're in cover one, cover three, some cover one will stick with and You're just having him play the back end there. That spot where the ball's about to come in the air and he has to twist and make a play on it, that's the spot where he's a little too tight. And that's why that to me is the spot where you wouldn't want him at free safety. But I think even at 6'4", he does a better job than Antonio Johnson Um, doing actual slot play against slot receivers as compared to Johnson, who I think while better in terms of some of the box skills um, is not as talented and quick about trying to also cover receivers. Um, Skinner here, I think is just a bit behind Johnson um, in my rankings and he's in the 60 right now, Uh, but he's, you you really enjoy watching him play you love seeing the sort of recognition and burst that he has um especially in those kind of short areas the hook curl area and um the sorts of stuff there so um yeah it, it again i think tom points to a really interesting thing here which is um how it is that we're supposed to talk about positions and i think the thing in sports that everyone keeps talking about right now is um you know that sports what inserts for here is positionless yeah you know all oh, linemen can play across the line receivers can you know all that sort of stuff um safety is a spot where you're expected to play a lot of roles but we have guys like skinner and johnson who spend so much time in the box maybe they're linebackers we have brian branch who's in a slot maybe he's more of a corner um and so many of these things were just kind of if you're a defensive weapon that doesn't spend time on the boundaries, you just kind of get thrown into safety. And I think it, I do think it makes it kind of difficult to really talk about, you know, a position ranked for safety. Because if you're just talking about guys who are, you know, more about playing the deep middle or playing the too deep shell and all those other pieces there, we're really talking about Sydney Brown, maybe he's more slot probably probably just Jordan battle from Alabama. He's, he's the one who's played 50% of his time deep. I mean, it's, it, it is it, in this draft. It's not just hard to find a safety It's hard to find a safety that can play deep. Who's got range. Even Jordan battles range is only average. And that lack of speed that he had really showed up once again against Tennessee, where Jalen Hyatt cooked Alabama for five touchdowns. Um, but, he, you know, he has the physicality. He's played that sort of deep area before. If that's what you're looking for, he's someone who, while not exceptional and is, you know, a bit average, is a again, average isn't necessarily terrible. It means he's better than half of them, I guess, um, in terms of the uh, testing numbers, but also what you've seen is that, you know, his range is only okay. The further away he is from the run game, the worse of a tackler he gets. He's, I think, he'll do better off in more zone-based schemes as opposed to man, so that he um, will have more deep help. We he, he, PFF also graded him over 80 in all three years that he started there, and so he's been a productive and good player, but you know, you're not getting someone who's going to be super talented and that you're going to day one trust to take that, you know, very important role of, you know, being the last defender and trying to make the plays when they're needed.
0: You know, I think here, talk about all these prospects. They, they seem like guys that just as athletes, they're going to be drafted and the coaches are just going to say, you know, we're going to put you in a couple different situations and we're going to determine what you do best because you're not drafting any of these guys, it sounds like super high. So they're you can kind of mold them the way you want. You don't have to be like, oh my god, we missed on a you know the 16th overall pick because we thought he was going to be a great safety, and now all of a sudden he's he's kind of playing you know two he's playing two snaps every possession or whatnot. You know, you can kind of mold these guys into whatever you
1: want. Yeah, and and it's not just molding, but it's it's knowing that you have a role for them. You know, you shouldn't be taking someone even in the third round because they might develop into blank. Um, you know, I I kind of like to think of it that for a first round pick, you know, your hope is that you can get like 750 snaps, second round pick 500, the third round pick 250, fourth round pick 100. So it's not that they, you know, at this point have to take on these big roles. I'm kind of pointing this out to just show, um, where they are in terms of the overall rankings for the draft. Cause um, I think sometimes it's easy, especially when you're just looking at position rankings and that's most of what I'm talking about now to compare, Oh, he's number three here. So we compare him to the number three over there. You know, Brian branch is the number one safety. You put him on the board for the corners. Doesn't make the top five. Right. Um, you know, these are guys who are going to be third or fourth round picks the rest of the way Skinner included. Even Johnson, it would not stun me at all if he took a slide, given both how he tested and the lack of roles for that position that there are. Yeah, team doesn't want to jump at that, you know, if they have other needs. hmm definitely. And you can get someone like Jordan Battle, who's solid, but um, where are you putting someone who struggles tackling specifically in the run game with okay range? Is that where you want someone? Is that worth taking in the third round, perhaps? Um, that's about where I have him graded comparable to other players. But um, he also played half his time deep, in addition to a quarter in the slot and a quarter in the box. He's a good processor. And he's someone who I think, especially if you allow him to have that sort of versatility and switch between free, strong slot box, a lot, it, I think he can have a good role. Um, especially in a scheme with a really creative defensive coordinator. Um, to kind of build off of what I was saying with battle and go to another one, Sidney Brown from Illinois is by far the best athlete in the class. Um, his numbers were exceptional. Um, but he does also, he's another one who has some problems. First of all, he's Canadian, so that's pretty tough. <laughs> uh, Shit. He's also only five foot. Pissing pant- off
0: the Canadians. Well nah. done. What are you doing
1: yeah, Suck it, Canada! Uh, <laughs> God, I wish I was there. Um, and uh, but with that, what I was saying is he's also the
0: draft wouldn't be on for you, Frenchy. It would be uh, a you know a want,
1: juniors hockey game. Be watching like some curling tournament. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but he's also 5'10", foot two eleven, and though he tested exceptional, like some coaches is going to be the same as chicks on tinder some of them at six feet and up um no matter how athletic you're going to (laughs) be despite four, four four seven great vert over 40 inches um and he hit 23 reps on the bench press antonio johnson could do eight and again this speaks more to preparation than it does their actual strength in my eyes he also has starts at a lot of different spots um including nickel corner deep all those Um, starting as a freshman. um, And then, you know, going on from there, he was really productive, but his growth, um, especially his physical growth came through most here. He has 10 career interceptions, but six of those were this year. Um, Very strong player, but as there's always buffs, he's got stiff hips and they show up in man, especially against some of the quicker routes. If he doesn't make the early read on a slant or a hitch, that can be pretty easy. And, Um, he can get lost somewhat Um, additionally not great as a tackler he tries to get too aggressive on the ball even when he's late and it allows for a lot of guys to make free runs coming out and those are the sorts of things again that you're going to be trying can you get his hips you know big enough or can you get him to calm down as a player more Um, but even when he does try and tackle he slides off quite a bit so despite that strength that I was talking about his tackling numbers are much worse than Antonio Johnson's. And is trying to balance all of those pieces when, you know, we have sometimes an overwhelming amount of information and we just kind of go back to the tape and see, wow, this guy keeps sliding off someone. So, um, and him, I actually had rated lower than um, my next safety, which is uh, Jamie Johnson. J-M-M-I-E, or excuse me, Robinson. I was reading the wrong piece there from Florida State. He's another one, 7.3% missed tackle rate since his freshman year, freshman to senior year. PFF had his tackling grades at 90, 78, 86, and 89. Um, and freshman year was so high in some part to the fact that he um, didn't play as much. So it's easier when he makes fewer plays. But really sound tackler, decent ball skills, over 600 uh, snaps from the box, 750 deep, and 1,300 from the slot. Again, this is one of the few guys who's really that versatile. Um, But, again, jack-of-all-trades type, speed's mediocre, also a little undersized, 5'11", 190. He's someone who I think is going to be a player, but with kind of a limited ceiling. Um, Reminds me a bit of maybe a smaller Julian Love at times, Um, but someone who can, you know, be above average at a lot of things, even if you're not going to be great at any of them. And so that's basically your safety class here is, you know, you kind of have to pick what traits are most important to you and find the guy in the first 100 picks who might fit that. And that's not a great spot if that's where you're uh, looking for safeties. Um, and thus ends my dry hump. Congrats on the Blue balls. Thank you. Thank you for that. I warned you, all right? It's better than church camp in sixth grade.
0: (laughs) Well, we appreciate the heads up. Um, Always. Yeah, the safeties is definitely a tough one. I mean, I I just think it's not as glamorous of a position, but it it reminded me a lot of the way you talked about the quarterback position last year.
1: Yep. Or you're – just begging and kind of hoping and saying, what can I mold? What can I have in terms of a role for somebody? How successful can they be at that? And what traits can we build on? And for a lot of those, it's a bit of a shrug. I mean, third round players in a lot of these, I just kind of mean compared to previous safety classes that we've had, where there've been so many talented guys. But even with that, just because of the value of the position, Compared to others, we have folks like Xavier McKinney falls to the second round, Jalen Petrie falls to the second round, and all these sorts of guys who are able to, you know, drop and become really good picks for um, teams at the top of the second round. So if you're just looking, you know, for someone, even like Brian Branch, you know, given the fact that he can slide so easy, he's someone who I think, maybe with the Cardinals, maybe with the Rams, um, you know. Eh, Seahawks probably not, but Raiders for sure. Um, You know, there are a lot of teams at the top of the second round who I think could be a really good fit. But if you need a safety and you're looking for them in that draft, it's not just that you need a safety, but you're looking for a certain safety skill set. You don't just need a blanket. You know, it's kind of like if you were looking for a lineman, you're doing it wrong. You should be looking for a tackle, a guard, whatever role you can find and are searching for certain traits in that role. And I think that's kind of how you have to approach the safety class and be able to fa- and deal with the fact that there might only be one, two, three guys who are going to be able to fit that role for you throughout the draft. And if that's what other teams are looking for, you might miss because this class just doesn't have the depth.
0: Tom, what do you think of the of the list of prospects he just went he just discussed
2: I think it's slim Pickens, and I don't see anybody outside of maybe, what was it, Branch from Alabama playing any impact minutes. We'll call it minutes as if we're talking basketball.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, there's going to be a lot of guys here who are, you know, at best 7th, 8th, ninth man in the rotation if you go that deep.
0: It is also that position, right, where I don't ever want to say it's a good thing that there's not a lot of players that you would rank as top prospects, but Frenchy, you and I have talked about it at length. You know, safety is not a position that's going to necessarily make your team better. If you're already a good defense and you have a good team and you plug in a really good safety, like Seattle was hoping to do with Tom's former boy, Jamal Adams, then great. But they're not going to impact. They're not going to impact. It was a great trade. He's still reaping the benefits, but you know, if you, if, if you take a safety, early in the draft and they're a great player, but their team's bad. You're not going to want to give the second contract. You're going to, you're going to trade that player. Well, yeah, I've been saying that
2: for years. Safety is a position you, you, you go after when you're one position away. You don't take that when you have a million holes in the early early rounds.
1: Absolutely. It's just, you know, what, uh, the way I've often looked at this is really, you know, we have quarterbacks at the top and then I think the next tier for positional value is pass rusher corner Wide receiver, tackle, blindside tackle, yeah, yeah, and that's and that's that next tier of positions. And then after that, I put safety right
2: with the running back.
1: Yeah, uh, I was gonna, and then we might have offensively guard, tight end. Um, No, maybe not tight end, but you know we have guards, we have linebackers. um, I'd say D line right now. You know, and then we keep going down. Safety is really heading the way of the running backwards. Um, There are some great ones and really impactful ones out there. But on the majority, you need someone who's pretty good and the rest of the team around them where you have a lot more value. I mean, you can see it just in terms of, you know, not just the money in the contracts, but the speed at which teams attack the safety market
0: to see Mm -hmm. the ways
1: that they value it. I mean, even in a class this shallow, um, you know, there wasn't this clamoring, you know, aside from Jesse Bates, who um, went to Atlanta and bringing Jordan Poyer back. Chauncey uh, Gardner-Johnson was, you know, as great as he was, he got a one-year, six-and-a-half million-dollar deal from Detroit, you know.
0: And the common theme with those players is they all played alongside very good players in the secondary and overall defense too. Yep.
1: Um, So it's just part of it is what the position is. You know, you go through, I'm just, I pulled up the uh, pro football focus ranking for um, free agents and I had the positions. Jesse Bates, you know, 16 year average for four years. Great job. But after that, Jordan Poyer, two years, $6 million. Chauncey Gardner Johnson, one year, six and a half. Von Bell, three years, um, seven and a half from Carolina. Okay. And Jimmy Ward, six and a half average. Julian Love, six million dollar average. Taylor Rapp, one and three quarters. Juan Thornhill, seven million dollars. I mean, the position itself, the NFL will tell you what they think of positions. They'll draft it. They'll trade for it. They'll sign it. And in all of those pieces, they'll tell you what they think of that position. And the NFL is telling you that unless you are one of the very elite ones, that, you know, it's it's not worth it. Yeah,
0: 100 percent,
1: which works out great for this draft class because they're not.
0: Right. <laughs> well, I also think it's it, it could be advantageous for some of these teams to just be like, oh, good, Like we're taking a safety late. We think that, you know, if the rest of our defense is good around them, you know, we, we might hit a home run here uh, again, as opposed because- to being like, shit, we drafted them 10th overall and we really need him to hit and we better build up the defense around him.'
1: And the theme with so many teams that are able to, you know, get some great mid and late round picks is the fact that they're able to select players that they have a role for you know the, the giants with daniel bellinger last year fourth round to me I, that's not where i had a guy who had 30 receptions yeah but you didn't like the pick when it happened was not a huge fan of it just because of you know what he wasn't he had a decent year this year but the Giants had a very clear role in mind for him and he fit that role perfectly. And so even as a fourth round pick, he can come in and do his part and play a pretty good, a very substantial amount of um, plays because they had someone who fit exactly what they were scheming for. And because of that, they made it work. If you have the sort of fit and the hole in your team that you have, Um, You know, you need some physicality, some size and someone who can play, you know, within eight yards of the line of scrimmage most of the time. But we need someone to cover tight ends. We already have a decent slot corner. Yeah, then maybe Skinner or Johnson can jump in there and play a substantial amount of snaps and do that role. But if you go in there just trying to say that, okay, this is a good player and now we want him to somehow fit into the ways that we see safeties, it's going to take a much longer time. And it's not that those players developing um, aren't valuable players. It's just if you are drafting, the higher up you draft, the more immediate you're expecting results. And so that's a big part of why. There's a lot of these guys here. You shouldn't expect immediate results unless someone has the perfect situation already carved out for them. Well
2: said. All right, All boys. Right. What's our next position coming up, by the way?
1: Are we doing linebackers, edge and D-line? That's it. Perfect.
2: That sounds very exciting. All right, so we'll be putting that out probably next week. Yes, sir. It's sounds good. good. Thanks again, Mike. We're, uh, you're oh. going to be hearing a lot from him, so it's going to be exciting. Oh, I, Maybe we I could just, even I fire Sean. Like Text me on you're the side. You're such
0: a bad guy.
2: Take me on the side. We'll, we'll negotiate.
1: <laughs> Such a piece of shit. Oh man. Uh oh, good stuff. Thanks for having me on. Can't wait to do it again soon. Yeah, Welcome yes. back, Mike. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>